Welcome to Media Path, where we go down a pathway towards all of the media that you crave. I'm Louise Palenker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. And our guest today, we are so honored and thrilled to share with you, is the legendary Henry Winkler. Hi. Is it really you? It is. So let me just say this, um, a full disclosure. Yeah. I am a really good friend of uh, Louise Planka and Fritz Coleman. And it is a pleasure to be on the radio with you. We oh, are so honored to have you, Henry. Thanks. We're very honored to have. And, and yeah. for those of you uh, who are not the honored friend of Henry Winkler, I'm going to give Five, you some six. background information. There's just a couple of people. Most people have at least met the bronze fawn, so they're good there. And the bronze fawns is now wearing a mask. I've seen it on Twitter. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So some background on Henry Winkler. Henry Franklin Winkler was born on October 30th in Manhattan, New York. His parents, Ilsa, Anna, Maria, Hadra, and Harry Irving Winkler were German Jewish immigrants who escaped the Holocaust by moving to the U.S. in 1939. His father was the president of an international lumber company while his mother worked alongside his father. And your parents were expecting you to go into lumber. Yes, they wanted me to buy and sell wood. And the only wood I was interested in was Hollywood. Oh, <laughs> or- Henry, the, the reason why you and I were destined to meet is because my father and grandfather were in the lumber marketing business. Truly. Not internationally like your father was, but in the regional Northeast, they were centered in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and their territory was from Pennsylvania up through Maine. And that's exactly what my dad and my grandfather did. My father didn't finish his life that way, but they were in the wood business as well. They bought and sold wood? Yes, they did. They sold then it to I, lumber companies. I would have to imagine that uh, Short Harry, my father, um, <laughs> uh, met them somewhere in a forest. It's entirely possible. Your father was at a much higher level. Like, in a forest! How about this? This is the truth. Uh, you know, I, I, I was uh, doing Happy Days and uh, Stacy was pregnant with our daughter Zoe in 1980. And I received the um, Emmy from Italy. And you go to Italy and uh, they treat you royally, but you also get a week with a driver and you can go anywhere you want on them. Uh, in Italy. This was amazing. We're in Bellagio on Lake Como. And we sit down, Stacy and I, we have just bought cold cuts and gelati and bread and cheese. And we sit down and a woman comes out of her room and she says, this is actually part of our anteroom of our hotel room. We said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she had numbers on her arm. And we talked and everything. And um, somehow, we, I came up with, we got around to my father who escaped Nazi Germany. And his insignia for his company was three small pine trees. She said, oh, that's so funny. My father was three small pine trees. We went down to the lobby in Bellagio, Italy. I called Manhattan. I put her on the phone with my father and he was the first contact she's had since the war. Now this is 1980 with anyone who knew her father who had the three small pine trees. They worked together in the thirties. Wow. That gave me goosebumps. That's a great story. Was that a long story? No, no it was fantastic. It was medium. It was yeah. just right. It was like the Goldilocks bed that she finally falls asleep in, right? Yeah. I never read that book. I think that's what happens. Someone yeah. falls asleep in someone else's house. Anyway, okay. it's a parable. But we're going to take a look at your IMDb, Henry, because there's all kinds of stories. And it's extremely exhausting. Um, you could spend several you know why? days. Do you know why? I don't. Um, can I ask you a question? Are, are we on video? I mean, can people see us? Yes. 
They will see us. Oh, and then I they have can... no idea. I would have worn something nicer. Oh, you look, you look very nice. They'll just go, they'll go to YouTube and they'll take a look and they'll say, that's what they look like. And then they'll go back to their podcast and listen. All right. Can so, I ask you a question? It had nothing to do with me. Did you just, did you see Hamilton? Oh yeah. Yeah, me too. I saw it twice in real life. And then I just saw it on Disney plus where you could see their expressions and their spit. Ditto. Very exciting. Ditto. What a brilliant move by Disney Plus to market that thing on there. That They must have bumped up their viewership by five times after that. Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you. And those people who got to see it for the first time, mm-hmm. I envy them. What are the numbers in terms of how many people saw it that first night on Disney as opposed to had, who had seen it over the past five years in various... Uh, well, years? you know, can I say one thing? This is a fact I know. Okay. More people will see a thing, a movie, a television show in one night than the entire lifetime of a movie or a play in the theater. Absolutely. Wow. I have a great Hamilton story. So I wanted to take my daughter to see it. Yeah. And I had purchased Sunday afternoon matinee tickets because they were the only seats available. And they were only $600 a piece, which is obscene now. Shortly after I bought the matinee tickets, Lin-Manuel Miranda announces his retirement. Suddenly, the weekday, the regular show tickets went to like $10,000 a piece. Right. So we felt like we had gotten away with murder. I get to New York, go to the Sunday matinee, and we're getting to the Richard Rogers Theater. And in front of the theater are all these production trucks. And we said... What's going on here? So we got closer and there's a buzz. People are freaking out. And we said, why all the excitement? PBS had come to tape the show with the original cast before it went off the air that they were going to turn into a special called The Life of Hamilton or whatever it is. And so for $600 a seat, we got to see the original cast in their final gathering as a recording for PBS. It was the greatest stroke of luck and joke. I think that is amazing because uh, I went um, backstage. I I saw um, Lynn do it. I went backstage and I touched his forehead (laughs) and I said, oh my God, all of this came out of here. (laughs) He said, couplet by couplet. I pointed to my forehead and I said, you see this? (laughs) Couplet less. No couplet. Oh One my let. God! Don't you feel like you you got the lottery or something? Oh yeah, just to see it. And it what, what I learned about it was because my daughter was in high school at that time. What a brilliant way to teach American history! Because yeah. before my daughter saw that, she had all the lyrics memorized. She knew all these characters. Right. She could have read ten history books in her lifetime and never. Uh, uh, absorbed as much yeah. information, historical information as she yeah. did well, just being a fan of that show. Well, yeah. Our show is called Media Path and Hamilton's a perfect example of a media path that you can go down. So the way that I chose to consume uh, ha- Hamilton being being somewhat OCD is I, I had to first read the Chernow book, which, which yeah. I think could block my entire face. So I got the, the <laughs> audible book on tape. There was a man who spoke to me while I drove for several months and I came to love him. He no longer speaks to me. I miss him, but he spoke to me. And then I would download the music only after I understood the whole story. Would I allow myself to listen to the music? And then I had to get tickets to see it. I wanted to see it in New York because it was conceived in New York. It takes place in New York. And I had to see it at the Richard Rogers in, in New York. So for my birthday, I treated myself and my husband to tickets and we, we saw one original cast member who was called Oak, and he plays the roles of Hercules Mulligan and James Madison. That was the only, by the time we got to oh, what He was adorable that yes, guy. Wasn't okay. he great? Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. He was wonderful. Well, the one thing about it was that, really, Wheezy, you did it the way you should do it, which is to have as much information going in. It was like a typical Broadway show where you go in as a blank slate and you're taken through this dramatic thing for three acts and you learn something or feel something at the end. You had to know a lot because I spent most of the play answering my daughter's question. Who are they talking about now? Who are they talking about now? It was dense with historical information. So if you didn't read something or listen to something before you went in there, you were... Well, 
Now, I could never have experienced that way because that book, I tried to read the book um, and I, I, I just couldn't do it. There's a man uh, who talks on my to iPad. you on Audible, Henry. I, I, no, because I lose the place. Oh. I can't find my place. And then I throw the entire mechanism out the window. Well, guess what Audible will do right now if you have the iCloud? is you can listen on your computer or on your on your iPad or on your phone and Audible will say it looks like you're here now and it will skip to where you left off. Oh wow. Yeah. So this technology keeps chugging right along and pulling us with it. That will change my life, we That will change your life. I'm telling you right now I'm I'm doing an audio book because we have a guest on next week and he's an author so I need to uh, be, I had read his previous book, and then when he confirmed, he said, oh, here's my new book. And I was like, okay, I can do this. One more book. Let's do it. And then you get the audio book, and it will say, it's 10 hours. So you're like, okay, 10 hours is less than a day. If I eat and listen to someone speak to me, I'll have read this book. Right. So that's pretty so much who is that person? Oh, his name is John O'Connor, and he wrote a book about, about Mark Felt, which is my current obsession, Deep Throat. And I, I just keep going around a corner and saying, oh, I think I know what I need to know about Deep Throat. And then I go around a corner and there's seven more pathways that open up. And now it's into all these conspiracies about whether the CIA was involved in Watergate. So I'm just fascinated by history and politics. Yeah. Why, why isn't there a Deep Throat now? We need, <laughs> we need, but we don't know for sure that there isn't. No, that's true. That's true. We don't know who's cooperating with authorities. You know, Kelly, Kelly, uh, What's the lady's name that works Mac in the world? No, the, oh. Uh, no, Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne, yeah. Oh, he could be a double Kellyanne agent. Kellyanne Newface. Couldn't she, couldn't it, is it possible that she's a double agent? Because how is she married to a man who's yeah. so violently opposed to all of her viewpoints? I think they're getting a divorce. Okay, well that, maybe separate rooms, big house. Oh uh, yeah, but the big children house. must suffer. Yeah. Or, oh. she's a double agent. But not only that, but also her personality. She cannot be somebody so different at home. Do you know when she's a mom? Can you imagine disagreeing with her? Well, mom, you know, I, I really think I should be able to go. And if she says no, they're dead. She, wouldn't say, she wouldn't say no. She would deflect and say, you're going to have to ask the president's attorney. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's get back to Henry and his IMDb because it's exhaustive. Oh, yeah. Now, when you... How okay, often... you know what? Can I just say one thing? Yeah. A full disclosure. Do you know why it is, it, it is long? It's, well, because you have a story. Fear. Career. Fear. Fear. Fear of... Fear of not failing. Well, we so, all have... Illuminate. So, like, go further down that pathway. Help us understand what, what you mean. I wanted to do this really... I mean, I, I've said it since for 40 years that since I was old enough to reason and I being dyslexic, there is a component, an emotional component. I figured this out that you have very little sense of self because you feel stupid. So when I got a job, I, I was in a panic all the time. Would I ever? get another job mm -hmm. and would I ever get another job? And uh, I have had this most amazing time. Now, looking back, I cannot deny that I've had this pretty amazing career. Right, but just based on, based on the career of acting, which is it contingent upon you being hired unless and until you start creating your own projects, aren't all actors consumed with the concept of okay i love this job but you know when's the next wave coming in and what do i need to do to produce that wave? yes I, i'm there are a lot of people who have that yeah who have that anxiety henry i want to talk to you about your dyslexia because it was an interesting way that you discovered that you didn't discover that until later yeah like when you were 30 years old and you were doing a documentary about dyslexia when you plugged in these ideas that and you think not, and not only that but my 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 son my oldest my stepson jed um had an eye hand coordination problem and we had him tested because he was so verbal but it was impossible for him to really write like an, a report 
And everything that the doctor said about Jed was true about me. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh my God, I I have something with a name. And and, and you kind of relieve yourself of a lot of uh, self-doubt that you'd had for the first 30 years of your life. But how did you get through Emerson and Yale uh, with, with that type of a battle? Not easily. Um, I, I took geometry in high school for four years, same course. And I had to take it in summer school. I just was never going to get it. Uh, in college, I was thrown out of my drama, my drama class because I said, oh, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try and read the scene and act it at the same time because I forgot to memorize it. And my teacher said, not in my class, you're not. And I was thrown out of my major. Oh, my. Wow. And then it took me like four weeks to talk my way back in. Yale was more doing than math. Mm -hmm. More doing Applied. than academic. Right. And there you should. I got a master's degree uh, from Yale, and I still can't believe it. It's pretty well, impressive. Our, our show is about having an obsession and then going everywhere to find out information about it. So I decided that if my obsession were Henry Winkler, and it used to be, but it's not anymore, I'll tell you uh, that. So don't worry about it. Where would I go to find a, a, a good sampling of information that would explain to me and other people what I would want them to know about Henry Winkler. So I have three or four things. Yes. The first one is any one of the 255 Happy Days episodes that you were in would represent this amazing, iconic character you built. Thank and you. then I would have them look at the last show of season two of Barry and this wonderful character, Gene Cousineau. And why is the last show of season two important? Do you remember why? I do know. I do know. Because um, uh, the last uh, uh, scene we shot in December of 2018. And we don't go back to work until February 2021. So that's one of the reasons it was important. I, I don't even remember the second reason was you realized in the midst of shooting it that it took place on the same stage where you shot Happy Days. That is exactly right. We shot and everybody it on freaked stage out. 19, uh, uh, the section of Paramount Studios that was owned by Lucille Ball called Busy Lou Production. Studios. Yeah. Oh, wow. And That's then, crazy, Henry, because I, that re when I was a child, I went there because someone knew someone and we went up, my dad was in a wheelchair and we went upstairs to look at wigs. And when we came back down, my dad said, I met Lucy. So we must've been right there. And then that's where I met you when you were doing sightings and we were going to do a radio version of sightings in the same location. I oh my God, for premier radio. Yeah. Because you, did you have your offices there for a while? Yeah, I did yeah. I, for 14 years. Cause I did MacGyver. I still, we still do MacGyver there. Mm -hmm. uh, MacGyver is going into its seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, um, maybe the twelfth year. Wow! That so is then, Henry, because it's so different from the Fonz and so different from Gene Cousineau, I would have them watch you playing former mayor of New York, Ed Koch, in the Art of the Deal, because it's such a timely topic right now. Oh my God! And you know who was in that? You know who played Trump? Johnny yeah. Depp. No. Yes. Oh my God. Johnny Depp was Trump. So where that can was we find for, that? Movie? Um, Funny or Die, I believe. Oh. And then I would close it out with any of the Hank Zipser series, which is really a great child series. And that would be how I would introduce you to somebody who lived under a rock and had never heard of you before. Thanks. Well, Hank Zipser uh, is me. Uh, it is mm -hmm. the story of a kid whose glass is half full. He just um, spills it everywhere. <laughs> and um, we are now, I think, in seven languages. It's, it's uh, pretty amazing. It's really, really cute. 
Yeah. Thanks. So Henry, I have some more picks from your IMDb. And they're, these are a little more boutique, if you will. <laughs> I'm going to open with uh, Henry appears in the MC Hammer Too Legit to Quit video where he plays the role of Henry Winkler. <laughs> in which? In what? Uh, MC Hammer Too Legit. Too legit to quit. No, I was in that? It said, well, maybe, could IMDb be wrong? No. I do not remember. I remember, I know him. Right. I met him, but I sure don't remember being in his uh, video. You know what video I was in? um, Oh, now I have to, oh my God. What is it? It was, it's a great group. Um, Max Bemis. Ooh, okay. And we'll Max Bemis, who lives in Texas now, uh-huh. uh, was, uh, he played all of his songs um, on our porch because he was a friend in high school of my son, Aww. Max. Wow. And then they ju- he just blew up with wow. this incredible group that oh, is completely... I have more for you, Henry. Yeah, go from ahead. your IMDb. Henry appears in Blues Clues where he plays the role of Bookmark. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I'm very, I get, I just got a check. No. A residual <laughs> check from Blue Clues for two cents. For two cents. The check and the postage <laughs> was more than the check. <laughs> Well, bookmark is an iconic role, and you must be very proud. Uh, I so, like Blue Clues. I oh, love yeah. Blue Clues. It's great. The kids are. It makes kids think. It helps kids. I, you know what? You know, um, uh, the uh, I, I I never turned something down unless it offended my my guts. And yet you're still on this podcast, so thank you for. And I love being here. Yeah. So uh, Henry appears in an episode of Drunk History where he plays Zenus rhymes with penis Fisk Welbert. Yes, yes, I played a penis. No, I, um, you know who was on that too? John Ritter's son, Jason. Oh, he's so good. He was good. on that episode. Talented kid. Jason Ritter. Now I'm going to um, go out on this limb and uh, and say to you that I'm really kind of peeved that imdb is missing your guest spot with me on the one minute talk show currently airing on youtube would you like to all watch it together it's one minute it's a minute yeah yeah i remember this it's time for premieres minute talk said it was show my office with your host alan wankus hey welcome to premieres minute talk show i'm alan wankus Hey, did you read about this? Country star Minnie Pearl, who always had a price tag dangling from her hat, has died at age 83. The family knew the end was near when the coroner took the tag off Minnie's hat and put it on her toe. <laughs> Not a good sign. Hey, we've got a terrific show for you. Stick around. We'll be right back. Is your cat finicky? Welcome back. Larry, how was your weekend? It was great. The most wonderful thing happened. My four-year-old son, Alex... Terrific! I- Our next for- guest needs no introduction. Please welcome Mr. Henry Winkler. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for coming on. Nice to see you. having you. Hi. Now, I know that, what, you're the executive producer of Sightings? I am one of them. I do the show with uh, Steve Krupnik and Ann Daniel, and we're going into our Look at my hair. (laughs) It's a great show, and it's all about UFOs and paranormal experiences. Now, let me ask you, have you ever had a paranormal experience? Uh, I actually, well, sitting close to you is the closest I've come. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You know, Henry, we've got so many questions we want to ask. You ask away. I'm ready. Unfortunately, we don't have time. Our oh. next guest will be Rob Eisman Eisenberg. I was going to talk about my wife. Uh, you know what? Tell kids. it to Oprah. Up next, we've got the musical stylings of Rob Eisman Eisenberg. Here he is, the Iceman. <laughs> wow, that sounds like it could have been a terrific song. Coming up soon, we've got Jim Carrey right now. Here's Jane Winburn from the San Diego Zoo. Jane, what have you got for us? This is Mucky, the Australian koala. Uh-huh. Would you like to hold him? I guess so, but whoa, Mucky's got a bladder control problem. Could you pass it over to Henry? Oh, all right. Would you like to hold him? You know, he's indigenous of the coastal regions of Australia. Uh, wow, look at the time. Our apologies to Jim Carrey. We'll try to get him on again real soon. This is Alan Wankus, and you've been watching the premier Minute Talk Show. We'll see you soon. Goodness, koala pee. Oh, get me out of here. Guests of the Minute Talk Show stay at the luxurious Motel 5, but not for the entire night. Motel 5, not to be confused with Motel 6. There's a lot. I really enjoyed seeing that, actually. 
it's on YouTube. I can send you the link. Thank you. And uh, I, you know what? Now you can edit anything you want on your own computer. But we actually went into an edit bay. We booked an edit bay for like two days to edit that down to one minute, a, a minute plus. But thank you for for joining us. And oh it, my god, it helps me remember what my office yeah. looked like back then. The movie that yeah. uh, the movie I'm in. Uh, is uh, directed by the legendary, by the maestro himself, Wes Anderson. Wow. Is that what you meant? Yes, exactly. Can you tell us more about it? You learn when you arrive. Uh, we finished uh, Barry on Friday. On Sunday, I went to the Golden Globes and lost. On Monday, I got on a plane and flew to Paris got on a train and went two and a half hours south to a small, small town. Uh, Wes Anderson took over the town. And uh, I then spent three hours standing uh, being fitted because they build all your costumes. Nothing is off the rack. <laughs> I played Bob Balaban's brother. Okay. And uh, I'm, it, we were there for two weeks, uh, and it was sublime. A creative man. What's when it you about? Learn, you learn the language of Wes. Which? And you literally, uh, I whispered to Bob Balaban, a wonderful actor. I said, I, I have an idea. Should I suggest it? He said, no. <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's all in Wes's imagination yeah. and you that's what you do in couplets and everything else yes that was Lynn yeah well you know you talked about being uh, passed over for the Golden Globe Award but I love third act victories right uh your first Emmy nomination was in 1976. Yes. For Happy Days. Yes. Your first win was 2018 for Barry. Yes. How was that? Do you know, the first time you go and somebody gave me uh, from Tiffany a keychain, and at the end of it was a silver um, uh, kind of oval with an indentation, and it was a worry a rubber, you know, you, you, you rubbed your thumb on it when you worried. And I took it with me. Uh, Stacy and I went to the Emmys and it was my first loss. And then it was years and years and years of my tush never getting out of the chair. <laughs> and then in 2018, they called my name. And you gave the exact speech that you would have given had you won that first year. Well, right? I, I said it was the the part that was written was kids, you can go to bed now. Uh, in 2018, <laughs> they were 48. They went to uh, bed. You know, in 2000, it's a, in, in 1976, uh, they were eight. I want to talk about Barry. There are a lot of people that think Barry is the funniest show on television. And that is, uh, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. You play... Gene Cousineau, who's an acting teacher. Yes. And it seems like it was a part that was written specifically for you. Hard to imagine anybody else playing it. Yes. Tell the story of what happened when you went into audition for Bill Hader, who's the lead and creator of the show, and Alan Berg. Well, this is, uh, and this is the truth, because they, they told me this afterwards. But they wrote a real teacher who used to teach here in, uh, in Hollywood, who was mean, who was really cruel because some teachers uh, believe you have to break the, 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 the student down in order to rebuild them. I don't believe you have to do that in, with um, being mean. And so when I played the character, I brought my imagination and myself to it. And they went, oh, yeah, he could be that too. <laughs> so they started to write to me. Uh, and um, and uh, bingo, we're going to start our third year, I hopefully in February. 
It's really with wonderful. This it's a great dark comic. But also, isn't it true that Bill and Alan said that they didn't even need you to audition? You could have had it walking in the door, but you insisted on auditioning. I didn't. I didn't insist. They insisted. Oh. Um, they, I, there was no, if, if I didn't have to audition, I wouldn't have. Oh, okay. I, I had to reverse. But, um, yeah, they, uh, the, here's the great thing. I went in, I auditioned. Max, who is a director, my youngest son, directed me at home in the audition. I then go in, I auditioned for Bill, and I made him laugh. And I couldn't believe I was making Bill Hager, who I just watched for the last nine years on, on Saturday Night Live, then I had to go back and audition for Alec Berg, who is so close to the vest, I think it is tattooed on. <laughs> and I, you, you don't make Alec laugh, but he smiled. Oh. I made him smile and waited for a good three to four weeks. I went on a hunger strike because I wasn't hearing anything. And finally, Bill called me and said, would you like to play this role? And I am so grateful, I don't know what to do. Well, it's been the absolute perfect collaboration. Thank but you. what I wanna know from you, Henry Winkler, is when it comes to acting coaches, fictional acting co coaches, yes. do you choose Cousineau or Comiskey? Cousineau. Because? Uh, Cousineau knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Cousineau uh, understands the art of theater. He understands the 5,000 years that support um, the, the temple that is the theater. So he's steeped <laughs> in the history and he, 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 he celebrates that and instills yes. the love he, of that. He doesn't just play act it. He understands the illumination of the human condition. What kind of potential does Barry have as an actor ever? Bill Maybe. Hader? No, Barry. Oh, Barry. Yeah. Is this just between us? Yeah. He's, not, he's never gonna hear this. Very slim. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he, he actually pays in cash. So to me, <laughs> he, he's, he, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. He's like an, uh, an Olivier. One of the reviews was brilliant. It was well-written in itself, paying you compliments. And it says, the actors acting as actors learning to act is one, <laughs> which I thought was a fan. Another great review. What a great role for Henry Winkler, fantastic character. I would watch the show just to see more Gene, your character, if I didn't love everyone else too. Wow. Endless good reviews for you. Wow. Oh, that's lovely. Now, Henry, yeah. when it comes to media paths or deep dives or rabbit holes or whatever, however you wish to label them, yeah. where do you go and what gets you captivated and, and just going down that, going, going for that journey? Wow, you know, that is an interesting thing. Uh, the rabbit hole that interests me at the moment is the divide of the country. Mm. I, I understand intellectually how we all have, a, we see differently, we think differently, but to be so, in my mind, how do you not see that our leader uses the same exact four words for every sentence for four years? How can everybody that he comes in contact with be a loser? I have a theory. So th this is a very simple theory and it's an extremely complicated, layered co conversation. Okay. But my theory is that there are those of us, and I think it's a majority, who are mostly motivated by love and hope and yes. goals and aspirations. Right. And there are some of us who are mostly motivated by fear. And fear is a primary emotion that leads to hate 
And if these pressure points are manipulated properly by, let's say, Putin, you can really fracture us. Because the more we love, the more angry we are at the people who hate and the more thrilled they are that they're pissing us off. Wow. Wow. Oh, I, 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 that, that sounds so feasible. What I don't understand is that there is so no loyalty. There is so no um, branch on which he lights that everything that they think is so great is eventually going to come and bite them in the tush. For sure. Because he doesn't care. No. I mean, what, what about we have a pandemic? There is not going to be any life until there is a vaccine. I don't know when the vaccine will come. He doesn't have school-age children. He's got grandchildren. I'm not sure he knows their name. No. <laughs> How does he send America's children back to school because he wants the economy to do better because he wants to be elected. And if they get sick and there are multiple complications after they get better, he doesn't care. Because he's how a psychopath. That, he doesn't have feelings. They've how been, is that not clear? He's had his feelings burned out of him by whatever toxic childhood he is. He's endured. a malignant narcissist. If you, if, you, yeah. if you take the fairy tale, the emperor has no clothes, that was written a long time ago for a reason. There are people like this throughout history. I think the King George in Hamilton is one of them. There are people like this. And when they rise to power, things get really, really dangerous. And, and that's John Meacham, who's a great historian, had a great observation. He said, even if Trump is voted out of office, this chasm is still going to exist. Yes. Because what's left behind is this you know, 30 to 40 percent of the American population still believes in that populist theory. And we're going to have troubles even if he's voted out of office. And what we really have to watch for is whoever slides in to take his place in this thought process in 2024, because we're not yeah, done right. with this even when he's right, done. Well, you know, Tucker Carlson is thinking Ooh, of running. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, this type of ideology just repeats itself throughout history. Even just take American history. You know, you have the John Birch Society. You have George Wallace. You have the KKK. You know, you have these people throughout history. They don't ever Absolutely. go away. But you, you're hopeful that the person leading us is someone with much more talent and, and, and leadership capabilities and positivity. And empathy. And yeah. em of course. And so this I'm, is our first taste of a real populist president. I mean, we had George Wallace and we had Huey Long, but that was a real small sliver. George Wallace had 25 percent when he ran in that election. But this is the first time when we're victimized by the, 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 the leadership of a populist. And I hope we learn from this. I hope we realize this is a very delicate house of cards here and people have to vote and people have to read you know, he's playing to a, a group of people that don't get any other current events outside of Fox News, which yeah. is just frightening. Yeah. yeah. I wonder I wonder how some of those people, do you think they feel any shame? Do you I mean, they're supposedly, you know, um, uh, thoughtful thinking people. I don't know any Republican that I don't personally adore. I just think it's th the way that they're wired towards fear yeah. and they want well, you know that you know what yeah, uh, I actually read um, that there are two brains there is a conservative brain yeah. and a liberal brain and they're wired differently mm -hmm. so they I, want that. I think that you are completely correct they want that wall up they don't want their child marrying someone from a different culture they want these are the things that they want. It's hard for them to say them out loud when Trump isn't president. But now that Trump is president, they're they're able to say, "Oh, that my fears are are justifiable. This is yeah. this is accurate. I do have to move yeah. to a look. What's happened throughout when people would would flee to the suburbs, you know, because they didn't want to say they were afraid of the black family moving in, but they were and they behaved it. And so I just think these are things that as, as humans, humanity has to push past all these fears or all these instincts and yeah, just say, well, here's who? the thing, Louise, do we have the ability to do that? You know, oh, you, bring up, 
you you bring up uh, the 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 thing. Uh, I I think that the conversation about all these statues is very important. Mm-hmm. But what I don't want it to do is to overshadow the flesh and blood, uh, the flesh and blood to be overshadowed by stone and metal. Mm-hmm. You know? Very very well uh, said. That um, scares me a lot. I mean. There were all these um, protests there. I wonder, I shouldn't say this out loud. So I shouldn't say this out loud, but I wonder if white supremacists um, targeted becoming police people. Absolutely. No, I'm convinced of that. You don't, you, you don't have to say it out loud. I'll say it out loud for you. Did you see the video? Maybe a lot of this. Look, I think a lot of the content that goes on Twitter is designed to own the libs just get us enraged and have us share it. And that makes right. someone feel powerful. Right. But there was a video of, of a police officer giving the white power symbol to somebody. And he walked over and tapped the guy on the shoulder and they gave it to each other. So, and I know that there's white supremacists that have infiltrated the military because I've seen that on 60 Minutes. So that must be true. So I absolutely think that that is one of their methodologies to get themselves in, in positions where they're in control of populations. So, and I think the police unions have kept a lot of uh, police uh, police officers from um, properly vetting or properly uh, ushering someone out if they find out that they have those leanings. But let's even go back to OJ. Why the heck did Mark Furman use the N word? And now, I, you know, my eyes are open towards he's not the only police officer who's been using the N word before before then and since then. Yeah, you know, and also let me just say, I have um, traveled all over this country and I have met extraordinary policemen and women. I mean, they have treated me like, uh, just like an old friend. So we're not talking about everybody. We're talking about what is obvious on a video. It's, it's a problem that I think that there, this moment in history is, is inspiring them to address because this is how change happens. It, it happens slowly and then all I at once. So. I, I hope so. I hope you know, uh, I, I worry about the degree issue, Henry, and that is, so we started out taking down the Confederate generals and, right. and because they represented this very finite thing which is called slavery and i agree with that but then we sort of wandered off into more ambiguous areas like the woodrow wilson argument and then there was uh, winston churchill and then you know what i mean so i just think we have to be careful because there is cruelty in all of human history and if you're going to destroy anybody who's ever cruel, then there's going to be no history to reflect on. We right, just have right, to be right. careful. I, I totally understand that point. I, I really do. But it seems like every um, uh, every moment, every thought, every movement swings all the way to one side and then yep. finally comes back to some sort of uh, equilibrium. Yes, that that is that is well said. And I think that the, the internet and, and social media gives us this instant uh, read on how uh, enlightened people are supposed to feel. So you go on Twitter and you're, you're thinking one thing and then Twitter says, hey, white person, that's not, your, that's not where you need to be. You need to be here and you're, and, you know, you're reading it and you're like, oh, okay, I'll adjust that. And y- yeah, it's, it's really tricky. And, and so I'd love to get your thoughts on cancel culture in general because it doesn't just apply to statues, it, it can apply to performers or anyone in, in, in public life. Well, you know what? Listen, um, uh, the culture, um, whatever on whatever um, strata it is, the reason that one is an actor or the reason that there is entertainment is really to to reflect back who we are. Mm. And so culture is really important. Um, There are people you don't agree with and you think, oh, my God, they're such great singers or they're such great actors or but their thoughts are like weird. And you have to you have to really figure out um, uh, 
do I need to know their politics to enjoy their music? Mm -hmm. Do I have to pick a friend because they think exactly like me? Good point. Yeah, very, very well said. Very interesting. So before we close, Henry, we would like to uh, delve into Henry Winkler, the author. Now we've touched upon oh, Hank Zipser because Hank Zipser is a, is a multimedia personality. A yes. The so second tell us volume about... of Alien Superstar comes out October 10. Ooh, hot off the press. So tell us about this, this well, uh, alien. This, this, is it a boy he's or an alien. He's 13. Okay. And he escapes from his planet because they are an oppressive government. And uh, he has on, the, on his back a sensory enhancer that is deactivated at 13. And his grandmother said, no, that's not going to happen to you. Um, you're not going to just fall into like a zombie. I'm sending you to the only address I know on earth, Universal Studios. <laughs> and who would question a rocket ship landing on the back lot of Universal? Pretty normal. And I don't know how this happened, but he does get a job on a sitcom, uh, on, on a situational comedy produced um, by uh, Universal. Ah. And, uh, you know, he plays an alien. And every time they want to, uh, to deal with his costume, he said, no, 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 I'll take care of it. And his costume, of course, is his body. Right. The second volume, you know, that you cannot have somebody escape your planet and get away with that. Okay. So they send one of the deadly squadron down to Earth to kidnap the alien and take him back to the planet. But he and his friends um, take care. I, well, I shouldn't tell you what the... Right. I shouldn't tell you that it ends... You know, they have, he has very long fingernails that need to be clipped twice a week. And the squadron, the deadly squadron is a shapeshifter. And it is this really dastardly squadron leader. And you see her fingernail scraping the cement of her cell at the end of book two. Ooh. I would love to be in a pitch meeting with you. That That's was fantastic. Awesome. Oh, We've thanks. been in a thousand pitch meetings with yeah, Henry. Have, and but you that was fantastic. <laughs> we pitched That's, the show uh, together Alien for three Superstar. years. Can I ask you one thing before we go, Henry? Yeah, sure. Just to comment on Gary Marshall and what a great loss that was. Okay. So there are people that you meet in your life or that you're lucky to meet. Uh, maybe there's only one in your entire lifetime. Gary Marshall carved his own avenue through the world. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he would talk like this. He would say, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I eat pasta with ketchup. <laughs> but here's the thing. He was a bona fide genius. Without question. He had time for everybody. He had advice, help, and a creative mind for anybody that struck his fancy. And I did. Uh, I am honored that I walk on the same earth he did. I, I feel exactly the same way. I certainly wasn't affected by him with, with my career as much as you were, but I did two of my one-man shows in his little theater, this gorgeous little theater. Oh, the Falcon. Yeah. Now the Gary Marshall. Yeah. And, uh, and he would be so mad that they changed the name of the Gary Marshall Theater. But I remember I would be rehearsing in there, and then there'd be this, like the Phantom of the Opera lurking in the back of the house, because he would walk through there. And then he would stop me, he said, why don't you try this line? And then he would ad-lib a line that was 10 times as funny as what I had sat in front of a desk for 10 hours. Yes, I know. He was so fast and so wonderful, but never made you feel inferior or less talent. No, he was it was merely a suggestion. Yeah. I would have trouble uh, with a scene we, when he was still working on the show before he went off to direct movies. And we would call him down to the set, set uh, you know, stage 19. 
And he would say, what is the problem? And I would explain the problem. He'd go, wait a minute. And he would tilt his head and 54 solutions fell into your palm. Yeah. yeah. Now you had a problem. Which one do you choose? (laughs) He was a brilliant. Let me ask you one more question before. uh, Yes, my darling. God bless uh, Gary Marshall. One more question. How are the Winklers pandemicking? Okay. Um, We order out. We make a sandwich. We play with the dogs. We go for a drive. We um, sometimes before this last spike would go in a place wearing a mask. May I, the last thing I would like to say is, I promise you, it has nothing to do with taking your rights away. It is the only way we're going to take care of each other. Exactly. Hello. Wear a mask. Uh, wear a and mask. One you of don't... the great treats for us when we were producing a TV show with you called The Couch, then we got it really close on Comedy Central. Yeah. The fun for me was to go through life and watch people react to you and see uh, the parting of the waters. We went down to ICM and these places and people, they hold you in such high esteem for not only who you are as a real human being, but what you represent in the television industry. It was jaw dropping to watch the world react to you. And with the grace that you always treated them, uh, regardless of how excited they got, it was it was an honor. You know what, Fritz? Thank you, first of all, for saying that. And the other thing is, when I became um, uh, famous, I realized I didn't know one thing more than I knew the day before. Mm-hmm. I didn't know math any better than the day before. And I was still short. Well... I think that what fame does is it doesn't change you. It just accentuates who you already are. So if if you've got a mean streak, fame is going to shine a light on that. And if if you're warm and kind and, and if you love people, fame is going to enhance that. And I think that's what it's done for you, Henry, and anyone who's been blessed enough to know you or have an encounter with you can attest to this. I just want to say, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at the screen mm-hmm. and I am wondering how you do it because we met how long ago? I don't, I'm not good with numbers, but I want to say it could be 30 years ago, even. I don't right? think you look much different than you did 30 years ago. Well, you have to, it, lighting is important. So you want. Uh, you know what? I didn't put up my ring light, but I don't yeah. think it's the lighting. Well, my mother looks 15 and she's 90. Well, there you go. You got good genes. Genetics, yes. But Fritz, whatever your journey is now on this this podcast and everything in front of you, I wish you only the best. Wheezy, I adore you. I have from the day we met. And um, uh, to the crew, thank you for making (laughs) this all work. And I want, Henry, thank you so much. It was special. Thank you so much for joining us, Henry. It was it was just a delight and a treat and an honor to have yeah, you. Yeah, me too. It's a very thoughtful conversation. And we'll we'll have more. And I want to thank Dina Friedman. I want to thank uh, I want to thank Thomas Hubble, John Maddox, Bill Filipiak, and we will see you next week on Media Path. Please do. Look at the doggy. Who is this? This is Sadie, and she has a sister. She's two, and her sister is one. She's a Labradoodle. Absolutely gorgeous.